You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, church. If uh, it's a little morbid topic that we're going to start off here today, but if, uh, if you guys knew that you were going to be dying soon, um, what would you say to the people that you were closest to relationally? Just think about that for a second. I mean, I, w- I would imagine that, you know, the, to your spouse, uh, you'd want to let them know how much you love them and, and just how they've been with you all this time. For your, if you had little kids, you'd probably, you know, say something to them about um, them wanting to grow up to be, you know, human beings who love other people and who don't let anybody tell you what you can or you can't become. You'd tell them they could do anything they set their mind to. I think you'd also just thank the people in your life who are closest to you, your friends, your coworkers, kind of say your final goodbyes. And then you'd probably say something like, and, and I really hope to see you guys again one day. Something along those lines. What's so interesting about where we're at in the book of John is this is, this is what is on Jesus' mind. So Jesus has now headed toward the cross. It's, it's literally hours leading up to his crucifixion. And so what's on Jesus' mind is his final words to his disciples. He knows that his impending sacrifice, death, resurrection, glorification, it's all coming in in the remaining hours of his life. He wants to encourage those people who are closest to him relationally in what life is meant to be like after his departure. Now, this topic is going to be the topic of all of the other messages pretty much in the book of John outside of the crucifixion and the resurrection narrative. Jesus is taking the opportunity to give final words to those who are closest to him relationally. So I want to look at it together. This starts here in John 13. We're going to look at the first one in John 13, 31 through 35. Uh, I would invite you guys to stand up one last time as we read the Bible together, and then you can get comfortable. But let's hear the word of the Lord together. John 13, 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, You cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, would you speak to us in your word now? um, As you spoke to those disciples, and as John recorded what you said, and wrote to a church, and now we get to be the church today, would these words be as powerful to us today as they were to the original audience. 
Help us to learn whatever you want us to learn. Shape our hearts in whatever ways you want to shape it as we want to be obedient to what you've said. We ask this in your name. Amen. You guys have a seat. So Jesus starts off this whole section of talking to his disciples with a, with a doxology, which is a really interesting way to start off this type of a conversation. It's an acknowledgement of the work of glorification that's about to happen. The Son of God, Jesus, existed to glorify the Father. The Father existed to glorify the Son. The purpose of God's existence is to glorify himself. We just all happen to be recipients of that glory because we're connected to God relationally. So then why would Jesus take the time to make that point? And I think this is why. I think he's setting a foundation for everything that he's about to tell his disciples all of the commands that he's going to give them about loving one another and about going out and taking the gospel someplace, the foundation of it is the glory of God on display. By doing this, the disciples are joining in the glorification of God. I just want to stop there. I don't think that many times we take the time to stop and think about the day-to-day actions of being a follower of Christ. I was introduced to this term this week called the ministry of the mundane. I thought that was a great term. The ministry of the mundane is a work of glorification, of partnering with God in this work to glorify himself. And, And Jesus wants his disciples to realize that, that when he's gone, they get to continue this work of glorification by being obedient to what God has called them to do. So the foundation is laid. Jesus' eyes are set on the cross. The work of glorification is culminating in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And in that moment, what is on Jesus' mind? Literally hours before the cross, what's on Jesus' mind? It's his disciples. You can, you can read a genuine love here for these men and women that he's called to follow him. Now, it's really interesting, the term that he uses to, to talk to them, isn't it? He calls them little children. Uh, and it's not meant to be insulting. Now, they were quite young. Many of them were probably teenagers when Jesus called them. But I think it's so much more than that. I think what Jesus is using here is just a, a term of endearment. It's parental language. It, it's describing how he views his relationship with them as a, of a, as a parent. And he speaks to them like a parent who's about to leave their children. And so he wants to leave them in good hands. And so he gives some final advice to his kids. So Jesus, he, he gathers his disciples close. And he says, he says little children... A new command I give to you. Look at it here. Love one another just as I have loved you. Okay, well, that, that seems simple enough. That's, that's helpful. Thank you, Jesus. Well, what do you think would have been on the disciples' mind, right? When we read this, we kind of have to like step into their shoes and say, well, how, what if they would have thought when he said this? Now, Jesus had demonstrated love. You know, he, and so if, if he said, I want you to love others or I want you to love one another like I have loved you, I wonder if they would have thought of the foot washing. You know, didn't, you know, Chris talked about this last week when he was up here. The disciples were like, oh yeah, remember when Jesus like washed all of our dirty feet? Like he must have been talking about something like that. And so to love one another means to wash each other's feet. So maybe we could start like a foot care ministry. 
right? I mean, maybe they were thinking that way. Uh, think about what Soul Hope does in Africa. If you haven't familiar with them, they go and they remove jiggers from, from people's feet. It's an amazing ministry. So maybe, maybe it was something like that that they were thinking about. I mean, that's something loving. Seems like something Jesus would have done. Well, how else had the disciples seen Jesus demonstrate love? Maybe they started thinking about, you know that time he healed that woman who was bleeding and she was unclean and, and how he used to like be around lepers and he would actually like touch them? So, so maybe, maybe what it means to love in the way Jesus loved is to start a ministry to the untouchables. Maybe it was something like what Mother Teresa did in India with the, with the people who are in the lowest caste system. And that seems like something Jesus would do. That seems really loving. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they thought about that time that Jesus fed all of us. Remember we were out in the wilderness and there wasn't any food and he took the fish and the bread and he multiplied those loaves? That was, that was pretty loving. So maybe what it means to love one another is to, is to feed the hungry. And so we should do something like what Operation Night Watch does in downtown Portland when they, when they feed the homeless every single week. But when we actually look at the text, none of those things are new commands, are they? I mean, God had commanded his people since they were first established to be a people that they should, that they should love one another. He established commands that they were to be generous with what they had so that no one grew hungry. He made a way for the unclean to become clean. He established commands to provide for the immigrant and the sojourner. You know, when, when you think about it, the Ten Commandments are, are really acts of love. They're acts of love for God and acts of love toward one another. They're a standard of love. Well, that's the key, isn't it? Think about it. It's what Jesus says here. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. So the newness of the command isn't to love. The newness of the command is a standard of love. He is radically changing a standard of love. The crucifixion will forever redefine what love is. And here's what's going to be different. Jesus is about to love them in a way that they don't deserve love. And that is the heart of the gospel. See, as being made in the image of God... He created all of us to be loving beings. But our love is a just love. Okay? So when we see someone freezing outside, we say, well, that's not just. And the loving thing to do for that person would be to provide them shelter. So we open the warming shelter here in Portland with the other churches here in North Portland to house the homeless. That's, we're displaying just love. And when we see children hungry, and we see children that don't have a place to sleep at night, we're like, well, that's, that's not okay. Like, like, that's not just. And so we love them in a just way, and we do things like opening up the community of hope and the shelter next door to this church. That's our sense of justice coming out of us, being made in the image of God. But how does God demonstrate love? How does Jesus show love? Or how is he about to show love to his disciples? He's going to give them something they don't deserve. He's going to give them atonement. He's going to give them righteousness. 
That's what Jesus Christ demonstrated. So now, we know that the disciples don't understand what Jesus is talking about. John's made that like really clear throughout his gospel over and over and over again. We, we really didn't get what he was talking about when it was happening. If you were to go on and read in this text, Peter displays very clearly that they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. I mean, literally, Jesus is telling them, I want you to love one another as I have loved you because I'm going someplace and you cannot come. And, G- and Peter like interrupts Jesus and says, wait, 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 where are you going? And why can't I come? If you're going to die, like, I'll die for you. I love Peter, right? That's so Peter to say something like that. I I can be the one to die, Jesus, because you need to remain here. I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus kind of looks at Peter in the next section. He says, you know, Peter, you're going to die just like I'm going to die. But before you die, you're going to deny me three times. What we know as the story goes on, and we're going to look at it later in this series, that Peter will go on to deny Jesus three times. And it's, it's crazy that, that Peter would go from this moment of, Jesus, I will die for you. And then literally hours later, he's like, I don't know who that guy is. No, I'm not one of his disciples. And so John is pointing this out to the reader. He's, he's, he's showing us that we are unable to demonstrate love in the way that Jesus Christ demonstrated love. But here's the key. See, Peter changes, doesn't he? What what, what do we see about Peter after the resurrection? He like finally gets it because the demonstration of love that Jesus did on the cross sinks deep into his heart and it changes the way that he interacts with other people. And the first church that you see in in Acts is is a church that's demonstrating radical sacrificial love toward one another. And I think something happened in Peter's heart in that moment. I think Peter realized that he really didn't have anything to bring to the table in the moment when he could have stood up for Jesus, he fails. And it's in that moment of realizing the depth of our own sin that we realize and recognize the love of Jesus Christ. Those two things go hand in hand, and that's the journey that John's trying to remind us of here. See, the thing is, when you realize how incredibly loved you are by God, it gives you a capacity to love greatly. This truth came to me this week as I was reading in a book. The distance between me and God, or I would say it this way, the distance between me and God is so great that it makes the distance between me and you seem very small. Think about that. When you realize the distance between you and God, all of a sudden you realize the distance between one another is so small. And if God can love me, I can love you. That's at the heart of the gospel, this great work that Jesus Christ did for us that completely redefines what it means to love and who we have been called to love. I have been loved much as a defining characteristic of the Christian life. It's why in this church that we'll never move beyond the gospel. We'll never stop singing songs about it. 
like, 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 uh, like Billy chose this morning. We'll never stop talking about it in the church. The, the, the crucifixion wasn't something that happened a long time ago that has no impact on our life today. It is the defining moment of the Christian life. It is the culmination of the gospel. God did something for us. But notice what it says in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Oh, wow. See, when we think about demonstrating the love of God, we think about you know, loving this community and loving this city and, and going on mission out into the world. But we see here that that's not what Jesus is talking about. He tells his disciples, when you love one another, then people will know, then, then all people will know that you are my disciples. And so he's talking to a small group of people here, his disciples, his followers. He says, when you love one another then everybody's going to know who I am. See, love of one another inside of the family of God is meant to be a badge that the Christian community wears to the watching world. But I think many times we would say, no, the way I love the world is meant to be a badge to the world of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I'm not like downplaying the love of the world by any means. I want you guys to hear that really clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God does love everyone. He calls us to a radical love. I don't want you guys to hear we should love the world less. There's just a different type of love that is meant to exist inside of the people of God, a sacrificial love. That's what Jesus tells his disciples in this passage. And I would go as far standing up in front of you guys today that loving one another inside of the family of God is a defining characteristic of being a child of God. Just as the Father loved the Son and the Son loved us, we now love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love for the world is one of compassion, It's one of incarnation. It's one of forbearance and evangelism and empathy and justice. But our love for one another inside of the people of God is a completely different type of love. It's a sacrificial love. And we get this backwards when we prioritize justice and mercy out there at the sake of grace and love in here. Now, once again, I'm not telling you that we shouldn't be out in the world loving all people because I don't think churches do this really well. Churches are either really good at loving out there or they're really good at loving in here. Rarely is a church good at both of those things. And we tend to group up according to which of those we think is more important. And it's not an either or in God's eyes. It's a both and. There is a love that is meant to be displayed to this world. And there's a love that's meant to be displayed inside of this church family. What I find so striking about what Jesus says here is that if you actually want to reach people out there for the kingdom, it's going to be through loving one another. And that's exactly what he says. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, there was a a time period in my Christian life, and this may not have been true for you guys, um, that 
my being in community with the church and being on mission in a culture and in a world were two completely different things. So I would hang out with my non-Christian friends here. I would invite my neighbors over and I would hang out with my church community over here. We would have home community and then I would have like a neighborhood barbecue, right? And what I was doing, I was trying to protect my unbelieving friends from my Christian friends, in all honesty. (laughs) That's what I was doing. I was like, man, if I invite all my neighbors over and then like I invite all my church family over, like this is going to be weird. Like how are these two worlds going to come together? Now, I'm all about being strategic in who I invite over and when I invite over. But if you are hiding the church from your unbelieving friends, you're not living in what Jesus is calling his disciples to do here. How else are they going to see our love for one another unless we bring these two worlds together? We have to radically love one another inside of the church, and at the same time, we have to radically love the world and bring those two things together. And I think it may be possible that you may not be seeing your unbelieving friends come to faith in Christ because you're just hiding them from your church community. You're hiding them from the love that you get to display to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's possible. Nate and Sarah, I think about the journey that you guys walked here at Red Sea. You guys kind of came to my mind. Um, You know, you guys knew each other for years before Sarah ever came to church here. And Nate, you had had plenty of conversations with Sarah about faith. But it wasn't until you chose to invite Sarah to church that the gospel started to take root in her heart. And Sarah became a Christian here in this church. Is that the way that it's always going to work? Well, I I know we can't always hide them away, right? At some point, we have to bring these two worlds together. Now, here's the danger of doing this. And it was really fun kind of watching and and, uh, doing the adventure with you guys. Uh, The danger of doing this is what happens when we invite people into the family of God and it doesn't look any different. And there's no difference in the standard of love that they see here. Or worse, what happens when we invite people to the family of God and what they see is a people who are actually less loving than all of their other relationships? Are we displaying this self-sacrificial love that we so easily receive? To say I love you on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.30 and the occasional social get-together is not sacrificial love. Jesus is calling them to something else. Now I'm going to lighten the mood here. I'm going to show you guys a clip from Jim Gaffigan, okay? Because that seems really appropriate at this point in the sermon. Uh, They're going to get it up here on the screen. Uh, Jim Gaffigan's a comedian. And in this skit... Where's, uh, I see my father-in-law. My mother-in-law is not in here right now. They're, he's going to make fun of his in-laws. You're welcome. Uh, Clarence is my father-in-law, by the way. I'm not showing this clip to make fun of my in-laws. I'm showing this clip to make a point about the way that we view relationships. I just want to set that out. This could get awkward as the video started going. Okay? So let's watch this clip together, 
and then we'll talk about it. You're welcome. Um, the reason I wanted to show you guys that clip is, is I, I think that we view the church the way that he joked about his in-laws. Do you love them? No, I, I law them. I love God, and I, I kind of have to in-law all of you people because it's a package deal, right? Let's be honest. The church is not always known for being very loving, particularly inside of the church. We're forever known for denominational splits and fractures over competing ideas and values. Christians love to put down other churches and their leaders. We love to put ourselves in theological camps and only hang out with those people who are in your theological circle. We're constantly criticizing and nitpicking Christian music and Christian authors. We love to throw successful Christians under the bus when they fail morally. We're just sitting back and we can't wait for Kanye to screw up so that we can shame him on Facebook. That's the reputation. But in this church, there's a reason that we chose family as our identity when we talk about our relationship with one another. We could have chosen a different one. We're going to put uh, part, that part of our Pathways model up on the screen here. So we have just said, hey, there's just three ways that we can demonstrate sacrificial love here in the church. We're family. That's who the Jesus says that we are. And we model it through peacemaking, sharing, and celebrating. So as I was thinking about those three things this week, I was like, well, what's it look like to sacrificially do these things? Because that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to, is a, a sacrificial love. So then what does like sacrificial peacemaking look like inside the church? For one thing, it means spending time with people that you wouldn't naturally gravitate toward. In a culture where people are siloing their relationships, let it be the church that is a picture of diversity and inclusivity. It's easy to love people who look like you and talk like you and have the same opinions as you and parent like you. Let's change that culture. It means that you don't get to write off anyone inside of the church family ever. There is no dusting off of your sandals in the church community. We are to bear with one another. But so many times, like, well, I tried to talk to them and they didn't listen, so I'm just going to like move on. That person didn't love me in the way that I think they should. They didn't serve me in the way that they, they think they should. So I'm going to be bitter and avoid them. Or how about that leader didn't lead me in the way that I thought I should be led. So now I'm going to go find another leader to follow. That's not sacrificial love. Well, think about sacrificial sharing. Like what would that look like? Love is inconvenient. It causes you to adjust your schedules. Do you help carry the weight of life, other people's weight, even when it doesn't work out well for your schedule? In home community this week, we discussed uh, the ministry of, the, of being interrupted. It's all coming from the book, uh, the Ray Ortland book that we've been reading in our home group. We talked about the ministry of being interrupted. 
See, in a fast-paced world, it's about scheduling to be interrupted. It's about making yourself available to be able to share. And that just involves prioritizing or reprioritizing some things. A few weeks ago, Jamie and the girls were out of town. uh, And it was the first time that I can recall. It may have happened before. But it was the first time that I can recall since we had kids that I had a weekend to myself and my family was not there. So it had been about 12 years. Uh, And to be honest, uh, it was kind of nice in one way. I didn't have anyone tying down my time. I didn't have any obligations to them. You know what I didn't do with that weekend? Binge watch Netflix. Because I had time all of a sudden. And time is meant to be spent with other people. I got to experience just a little taste of what Paul called the gift of singleness. For our single people in the room, what does it look like for you to sacrificially use your time to demonstrate love inside of this community? Because to be honest, you have more flexible time than anyone else in the family of God. That's why Paul called it a gift. He could serve. Let's talk about celebration. Like, what's it look like to sacrifice or to, to, to celebrate sacrificially? Well, I think the opposite of it is probably like obligatory celebration. It's, it's about inviting your church family into your life and not just your easy conversations on Sunday morning during the welcome time. You know, when you think about it, you never once in the Bible see any of God's people being lone rangers. Never. They always had other people with them. Jesus ate a lot of meals with his disciples. You don't ever see him sitting at a table by himself. There's no passage of scripture that says, and Jesus decided to dine alone. He was always allowing other people into his life and spending time with him. He celebrated with them. Allow other people into your life. Allow other people into your mess. You know, as I was thinking about this, you know, I realized how hard this is. And I really wish Jesus would have said something like, a new command I give you, just be loving. Because that would have been vague, and that would have been helpful. But he doesn't say that. He says, I want you to love one another. Now, what was so encouraging about this passage of Scripture for me is I see you guys doing this stuff all the time inside of this church community. And I, and I love it. I see people bearing one another's burdens on a regular basis. I see you spending time with one another. I see you spending time with people that you probably wouldn't naturally gravitate toward. I see you choosing to spend your time together. And it's not because we plan something at this church that we all have to show up for. It's you choosing to be together. I came back to the church, I think it was last Sunday after the sermon, and a few of you guys had just walked back from a meal. And I was like, that's so cool that they just chose to like go have a meal together and get to know one another. So how do we do this? Like, How, how, how do we live out what Jesus says here? Because if we were all honest, we've all done this poorly, haven't we? We've all failed at this. 
And the only way that we're going to do this is not by trying harder. It's not by a a colorful graphic or a, a communicator up here on a Sunday morning. It's going to be that we go back to the gospel and we remember the depth of our sin and the love of God for us. And the more we go back to that and we let that gospel wash over our hearts, then we become more and more sacrificial in our love toward one another. That's the only way this is going to happen. It's the only way that you can reconcile in difficult relationships. It's the only way that you can serve people who aren't like you because you realize it was done for you. See, this is what communion is a picture of. Something we did not deserve that we received. We all were given sacrificial love. And so as we come and we receive communion once again, I want you guys in that moment to think about how you're demonstrating sacrificial love. And does the gospel need to sink down and and take root in your heart in some particular way? Is there some area of repentance that's needed in your life? Is there somebody that you need to go to and talk to? Is there somebody that God's calling you to love in a sacrificial way? And as we do this, church, think about this. As As we leave this place today and we go out loving one another sacrificially, we join with God in the glorification of the Trinity. What a wonderful act of worship. The ministry of the Monday. Living life together loving one another, inviting others into that world to live life with you. Let's continue to do this together. Let's not grow weary of doing good. Join with me in prayer. Uh, Father, I thank you for this command. Thank you for your heart, for your disciples as you were leaving them, that you wanted them to love one another as you had loved them. And we know that they didn't understand what you were talking about in that moment, but later they did and they evidenced it that that truth is sung deep into their hearts. We would just ask that the truth of the gospel, that we are so unworthy, and at the same time, we are so loved, would that please continue to sink deep into our hearts? And would you continue to form us into the image of Christ so that we can display love in the way that you displayed it? We'd ask that you do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.